Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. And let's start at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's start at verse number 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed, that they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and love partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And here's our key text for this morning. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, patience, meekness. Let's bow our heads and get our hearts prepared for what the Bible has to say this morning. Lord God, help me to tell the truth. Help me to stay in Your Word. Lord, help us to understand a little bit more clearly some truth that we can apply to our everyday lives. I pray that it would be edifying to Your saints this morning. We certainly are thankful, Lord, for the kids that have come out, families, visitors, we ask Your blessing upon each and every one of us. Lord, we want to we love You more. We want to learn about You more. Help us to do that. In Christ's name, Amen. Alright, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after. This is the good news we're getting today. Righteousness, goodness, faith, love, patience, meekness. We cannot, the Bible says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You're going to serve one or the other. And many a Christian men and women, they sacrifice themselves at the altar of mammon. We see that in Matthew 6. We see that in Luke 16. Because money, it's like oxygen. You really can't live without it here on earth. It's something that we have to come in contact with. So how do we know who we serve? That's the question I want to ask myself and I oppose to you this morning. Who do you serve? We can find these, this answer out very easily by just asking ourselves, what do our daily thoughts consist of? Is money consuming every thought? What consumes our mind before we lay down at night? And with the first thing we wake up in the morning, is it all about money? 
The monster of mammon will work the God of the Bible out and the devil of the Bible in. We need it. We have to come in contact with it. But what are we going to serve? Something will be made prominent in your life and in my life. Is it going to be God or is it going to be mammon? We can't serve both. The Miser was written by Milo Winner in 1919. And it goes like this. A miser had buried his gold in a secret place in his garden. Every day he went to the spot, dug up the treasure and counted it piece by piece to make sure it was all there. He made so many trips that a thief who had been observing him guessed what it was the miser had hidden. And one night, quietly dug up the treasure and made off with it. When the miser discovered his loss, he was overcome with grief and despair. He groaned and cried and pulled his hair. A passerby heard his cries and he asked, What had happened? My gold! My gold! cried the miser. Someone has robbed me of my gold. Your gold? There in that hole? Why did you put it there? Why did you not keep it in the house where you could easily get it when you had to buy things? Buy? screamed the miser angrily. Why, I never touched the gold. I couldn't think of spending any of it. The stranger picked up a large stone and he threw it into the hole. If that is the case, he said, cover up that stone. It is worth just as much as the treasure you just lost. And what's the lesson here? A possession is worth no more than the use that we make of it. And God has given us money and we should use it as good stewards of children of God. And that's really the call. There's nothing evil or inherently sinful of money. It's the love of it which causes a dehumanizing effect. There is... A great problem that can easily be described as the need for greed. And it demoralizes people. It really does. It gets them away from God and God's order. And you can triumph financially in this world and you can easily do it at the expense of others. And the relationships that can be grinded away by what money can do to you. God gives us a solution. And keep in mind, again, money is no more inherently evil than the devil is in a banjo or a fiddle or a guitar. Or... But somebody puts their hands to that instrument and all of a sudden their heart motive comes out of that instrument. Music isn't inherently good or evil. It's what do you do with what God has given you? And we all know how strong and powerful the message of music can be because sinners pick up an instrument and their wicked hearts create something that doesn't give God honor. Money is the same thing. It's not inherently good or evil. Matter of fact, God speaks about money numerous times in His Holy Bible. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to be good stewards of it? Or is that our love? 
It's a gift from God. Just like music is a gift from God. It can be used, music can be used to serve and praise God. And money can be used to serve and praise God. God gives us the solution, though, to verse number 9 and 10. He gives us the solution in verse number 11. Look at it. He says, if you want to be a man of God, flee that. And here's the solution I have for you. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Let's back up a bit. Well, let's park a little bit. Let's move forward a little bit. Right? Follow after those things. And then look look what verse 12 says. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold, hold on eternal life. Here's the solution God gives us as we work towards the end of this chapter. Follow after these things. Quit fighting and loving money. There's a better fight to fight. Look at verse 14. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you anticipating the coming of the Lord? Get your things and thoughts focused on Him and loving His commandment. Look at verse number 16. By the way, if we live in America, we're rich. <laughs> Just by being blessed to be born in this country, we are rich. What are we charged to be? Verse 16. Who only hath immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. We're to be looking unto God. He's, we are the ones that should be giving Him honor and Him praise. And we need to be careful, verse 17, that we trust in who? The living God. Because He. Why? The living God. Look at the end of verse 17. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. You will be rich. Verse 17 tells us how. God has given us all things. We've got clothes on our back. We've got food to eat. We're born in America. We've got more earthly blessings than we can ask for. You want to store something up? Look at verse number 19. Instead of storing up all the money, burying it in the ground, look. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. This world, it's a vapor, it really is. Let's get a hold of some eternal things and let's get that eternal perspective. Let's live with an eternal focus. Here's the solution. This whole thing is a solution instead of loving money. Verse 20, avoid Profane and vain babblings, an opposition of science falsely so-called. We're not preaching on these verses, but this whole end of 1 Timothy is real practical stuff. 
And, in, and, and look, he's going to answer in this last verse the proud critic that says, I, I can handle it. I, I can handle all this. I can handle all the money. Verse 21, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. That's some, that's some Christians. We can be saved and on our way to heaven. And our life can be far from living a Christ-like life. And He gives us all of these things to get focused on so we don't err from the faith. We're going to key in on verse 11, so let's do that. What's the first one? Righteousness. The Bible says, follow after righteousness. Let's turn in our Bibles back to the Old Testament. And let's get Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51. Let's look at a cross-reference. God comforts His people, the nation of Israel. They don't believe they can be a great nation. God reassures His people, His nation. He reassures them. And look what He says in Isaiah chapter 51. In verse number 1, Hearken to Me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Then he goes on in verse 2, Look unto, your, unto Abraham your father. Look, don't forget where you came from. He's trying to tell his people, don't forget where you came from. For us today, New Testament Christians, we can't forget we were created by God. Follow after righteousness. God is righteous. For those that are saved, He imputes His righteousness and makes us right on what Jesus Christ did for us. Follow after righteousness. And then we can use money righteously. The solution is simple. Hearken unto the Lord. Follow after righteousness. Seek the Lord. Before you buy something, are you honestly and earnestly seeking the Lord? Or is it, I just write checks out, I just throw cash, and I just swipe the card on everything? We really, really should follow God's leading. What's next? The Bible says, Godliness. Let's go back to 1 Timothy. Godliness. Fifteen times the word godliness shows up in the Holy Bible. About ten of them are in First and Second Timothy. Big, big theme and a constant theme in 1 Timothy. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse number 2. We preached on, this, on all these verses before, so we're just going to make some quick stops and move on. But verse number 2, 1 Timothy 2.2, 2, For kings and for all that are in authority. If you're a dad, you're in authority. If you're a mom, you're in authority. If you're a grandmom, you're in authority. 
if you have a job where you're over some people, you're in authority. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, check it out, in all godliness and honesty. Man, we just got to get back to following after righteousness. Let's just get back to godliness. What, what, does this look, what would this look like if I were to make a godly decision? 1 Timothy 2, verse number 10. Ladies, Well, let's look at 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Our young people need some godly women. Our society needs some godly women. We preached on these verses before. We're not going to get into them, but godliness. Ladies, the example that you set is something that your family needs, the church needs, and society needs in an example. We don't want to have a church full of ladies that just fly off the handle at anything that happens. And Oh boy, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, sometimes the husbands need that, but you, you do that at home. <laughs> we, want to, we want to be a church full of godly women, and that should be our standard. We're working toward that. 1 Timothy 3. We believe in a trinity. Three in one, one in three. That's basic Bible doctrine. And verse 16, 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And this really is the verse that sums up the Trinity. God God the Father, God was manifest in the flesh Jesus Christ, so yes, God is Jesus, Jesus is God, justified in the Spirit. That's a great mystery, and that's a godly doctrine. How do you figure that out? Isn't one plus one plus one three? Isn't there three gods? What's one times one times one? One. One God. Three and one. One and three. Can you explain that? I can't fully explain it. I just want to tell you what the Bible says and we are told to believe. Not try to figure every single thing out. And that is a great mystery. I mean, you could take it to we're soul, spirit, and body made in the image and we get that in Genesis. You can take it to a great example of water, you know, ice, um, steam, and liquid solid liquids. But, I mean, that's about as far as we can take it to get our mind to kind of get the... There's a lot of things that are Trinity around. But God, that mystery of godliness, it's deeper than that. It really is. It's three and one, one and three. God Himself. Alright, let's move on. First Timothy 4. And we preached on this. We had a good time. 
verse number 7, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise, th and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promised the life that is now, that now is, and of that which is to come. Exercise, do it. We want healthy bodies, right? This body's going to eventually be in the grave. And there's something more profitable. Living a godly life. That's a spiritual application. And God gives us many physical things and then turns it around and He gives us this spiritual application. 1 Timothy 6. Lot of the big theme of godliness. Verse number 3. How about we just become more like God? If any man teach otherwise... And consent not to wholesome words. By the way, boys and girls, look up here. You, you hear, you hear um, dirty talk. Girls, you pay attention. You hear boys making dirty talk on the playground. or where. You get those ears. You put your hands over your ears. You go find somebody else to play with. I'm telling you, those words, you're going to hear those words. And you're going to know when you hear them. Because you're not going to know what they mean, but you're going to know something isn't right. You stay away from that. You stay away from that stuff. I'm telling you. Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And somebody wants to press it, you know what you do? Well, here's what Jesus said. He said, consent not to unwholesome words. Consent not. It consent to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. You give them what God says. We want our words to be godly. 1 Timothy 6.5 Look. Do you know it's 2019 in the United States of America in the me generation and it's hit Christianity because you can spiritualize just about anything. And in your mind, and in your mind only, it's right. Everybody else sees what you don't see, but you got your Mr. Spiritual sticker. And it's you and God figuring stuff out and 1 Timothy 6.5 says, he goes on for, you know, you're proud knowing nothing, going, doting around with questions, and look, here's what comes out of that. Perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, that means our minds get corrupted. And we think things, and we conclude things that aren't in the Bible. We become destitute of the truth. It's not in us. We suppose that all our gain is godliness. And you know what God says? Get away from that guy. Get away from that girl. From such, withdraw thyself. And then he explains, but godliness with contentment, that is great gain. Not being Mr. Spiritual. Not being the proud guy. I know everything. Every question I ask is just to stir something up. That's not godly. Just be content. That's great gain. Not all this strife and all this disputing and 
time and place for it. It shouldn't be every time and every place for every situation. You ever been around people like that? You can't, you can't go out to eat without figuring out what did I do wrong? <laughs> I mean, it just wear you out. Uh, I ordered shellfish. Is that a sin now? I mean, you can't. You, you ever be around people and then it's just one thing after another and you don't want to be around them because, all right, what is it now? What is it now? First, uh, 2 Timothy 3 5, last verse on godliness. We'll preach on this when we get into this chapter, but it, it, the Bible says that there's a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Boys and girls, how do you identify this form of godliness? Well, since we're on money, let's make an application. You have to be like a banker. A really, really good banker. They don't study counterfeit dollars. You know what a good banker does? They study the real deal. The real thing. And they're so good at being able to identify the original, the real money, the real currency, that they won't get duped by the fake. And so you know how you can recognize counterfeit Christianity? You know you, how you can recognize if someone's trying to dupe you? What do you got to do, kids? You got to get so good at knowing this book that when someone says something that's a bunch of baloney, you're so good at this book, you know this book so well, that you don't have to study all the false stuff out there because you know the book so well you got the, you got the radar on. I really think I really think that benefits us all. We just study the Bible. Five more times godliness is used. Once in Titus and then the rest other four times in 2 Peter. And that's where it shows up, but mainly in 1 Timothy. Big theme. And then the Bible says we get four more words. Faith. And let's get Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. We're told to fight the good fight of faith. How do we do that? Look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12.
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, what does he say? Taking the shield of what, kids? The shield of? Yes. Above all things, faith. You know how you save? By grace through what? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And above all, take the shield of faith. You want to, you, you want to flee this love of money thing and all that other stuff that was mentioned that we shouldn't get involved with? Take that shield of faith. Stand with that. How do you follow after righteousness? You put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does God do? He takes something physical that we can all relate to, a battle, a fight, and He gives us our spiritual armor that we can use to fight life's battle. We can't do it without God. We're not going to get over loving money, doting about with questions, causing strife, without God's help. And you know what else he says? What he wants us to follow after? Flee the love of money, but follow after this. Love. That's hard for us guys. I mean, unless it's a Kubota tractor or, uh, you know, this is hard. Because we're not as emotional as we should be. We're all about logic and reason. Well, guess what? God says, follow after love. Now, this is not uh, the, the, uh, the biblical prescription that Joel Osteen tries to get you to buy into. Every day's a Friday. It isn't. And you're supposed to be this lovey-dovey, I'm going to skip around like some fruitcake that's not biblical love. Love, it's an action word. That means we have to apply ourselves and take action and really go after it. And let's see how. 1 John chapter 4. Let's see what or if we can treat everything with love. Do you know God? You saved? The Bible says, 1 John 4, verse number 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Okay, God, I'm out. <laughs> Too hard. Bye-bye. Okay, wait. For God is love. For love is of God. Sorry. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Wait a minute. You sure you know God? Because you don't love anybody but yourself. Am I sure I know God? Because every decision I make seems to always be about me. <laughs> Verse 8. He that loveth 
not, knoweth not God. You know why? For God is love. You don't love people as much as God did. He dies for his enemies. I take a bullet for my wife. I take a bullet for my kids. And for adventure for a good man, some would dare to die. For my best friend, maybe. But for my worst enemy, I don't think so. That's not God. He is love. And He commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves His enemies. How do you do that? I don't know. Just be more like God. Follow after righteousness. Put on the shield of faith. Flee the stuff He says to flee. Don't fall in love with money. And follow after love. Let's look, one more verse. 1 John 4.16 One more verse when it comes to love. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. You know how hard it is? We have a wicked world that has completely whacked out what children are supposed to believe. How do you go from being a man's man and an Olympian, being on the cover of Wheaties, to the freakazoid that you've turned into? And you don't know what you are, a man or a woman. That is whacked out. It's craziness. How do you love that? How? Only by getting into God's Word and trying to be conformed to Him can you look somebody in the face without either wanting to punch them in the neck or cracking up in hysteria because this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Let me show you what Jesus did for you. Are you saying my lifestyle is wrong? I didn't say anything about your lifestyle. I'm saying that God loves you and He died for you and look, you are a sinner. Will you agree with God that you are separated from Him? I don't believe in God. Do you love things? Yes, you believe in God. Because God is love. I don't get it right all the time. Half the time, I just want to lose my temper on people like that. But the times that I do get it right, it tends to go a little bit better because I'm following what God says. Kids, you got it rough. You got boys running around thinking they're girls and girls running around thinking they're boys. The whole society is nuts. And you've got to grow up in it. Praise God your mom and dad bring you to church. Praise God they teach you that there's an order to things. But it's going to be harder and harder to love people that are so spazzed out in their head that you can't get nothing through to them. But God says love them. Love them enough to tell them about Jesus Christ. Two more. We've got patience. Let's get Romans chapter 5. I can preach on this because I'm, I'm an expert at patience. I'm a, a husband and a, and a father. Yeah, keep lying to yourself, big boy. 
All right, Romans chapter 5, the Bible says in verse number 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Really? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. You're saved. That Holy Spirit dwells right in you and can give you that love of God if you yield to Him. You want to really get what God did? When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Would you die for an ungodly man or woman? God did. I don't want to sign up for tribulation. I'm careful about where we meet because I don't want to sign the church up for tribulation. <laughs> I mean, I really want to be careful and just trust God's leading and get your insight and just work as a, as a functional family of God. But God never says anywhere in His Bible hints that every day is a Friday. We're going to have tribulation in our life. We're going to have trials. And boys and girls, listen up. You know why you listen to mom and dad? Because they've been through some tribulation. And you know what that worked out in their life? That's why I really want to be able to look at a situation and say, you know what? I've been there, done that. Grandparents, old, older folks can look at a situation and say, you know what? Bring that little boy aside. Bring that little girl aside after church. Say, honey, look, I've been there. I know. I do. Look, just wait. Wait on God. Be patient. I know you don't see the end. But look, I've been down this road. Please. We've got to have a church full of people that have been through some junk because God has worked patience in their life which has given them some hope, it's given them some experience, and they can take that experience and give it to the young folks so they can grow up and live a life victorious for Jesus Christ. You can't have a church fill everybody that does everything perfect. You're going to have the kids think they're perfect. You can't have a preacher that's perfect. I'm not polished. I'm not a theologian. I don't have all these doctorate degrees. I study the Bible and I got a Bible degree and I want to live for Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to do. That's what I want my kids to do. That's what I want the town to do. I've done stupid stuff. I've been through tribulation. Partly my fault. <laughs> You've been through tribulation. Partly your fault. Get some patience out of it. Get some experience out of it. And give somebody else some hope that they can live on for God. That's what the Christian life's about. And then finally, the Bible says, the last thing we'll key in on Meekness. Meekness. Meekness is opposed to pride. Meekness is opposed to arrogance. You know, I grew up in the martial art world. That's kind of all I really know. Um, all I've known. And one of the things, and one of the styles that I studied when you would go for your black belt, 
you would get what was called a Don number. Don just is a Korean word for level. And so you would get that number. 4,000, 4,001, 4,002. And so when there would be an event, if there's 50 black belts at a seminar or a training session, you would line up by seniority based on your Don number. So if there were 23rd degree black belts, whoever had the lowest Don number would be first, and then second, and then third. And then if you're a second degree black belt, then you would be next, and it would be based on your seniority. It's a way to keep order, and then the first degree black belts would be last. And it doesn't matter what you do or what industry you're at, you're always gonna have, well, I'm your senior. Yeah, but you're 50 pounds overweight and you haven't trained in three months. Yeah, but I'm your senior. And it's just that arrogance that you're like, are you kidding me? And you're just praying for the, for the instructor to match you two up so you can spar because then you can take it out on him and pretend that you're spiritual just like he's arrogant. But we won't get into all that. The bottom line is nobody likes that. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in. That arrogance shows up. And God says, we need to follow after meekness, which is opposed to that kind of stuff. It's the ability to remain humble when being provoked. Hard to do. Easy to preach. It's the ability to submit to God's will without murmuring and complaining about it. Equally hard to do. <laughs> and to wrap up defining meekness, it is not weakness. Because if you can do any of those things, you are demonstrating strength. Meekness is strength. Because anybody that can remain calm and humble when provoked or under pressure has a meek spirit. Last two verses and then we will land the plane. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Jesus Christ inculcated the spirit of meekness. And He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 1, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. Jiu-jitsu means the art of gentleness. The gentle art. And when you watch two practitioners that are actually experienced, it should look like an art, a graceful art, a gentle art. Because contrary to popular belief, being a tough guy isn't someone that can go in and throw chairs around and, um, you know, pick up the kid and throw him to the side. Well, big deal. You're stronger than everybody. Big deal. You picked on a little kid. Big deal. Someone that has the meekness and has their strength under control and can use someone else's force and energy and absorb that and keep going and go with the flow, bro. That's somebody who I want to be around because they're in control. And Paul, 
if we can only try to be like Paul, we might get a glimpse of being like Christ. He had, he had the heart for God. He really wanted to approach people like Christ. He didn't want to approach people like Paul in the flesh. Meekness and gentleness of Christ. Last verse. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Psalm 45. And then that is it. We will finish up. Jesus Christ is our conquering King. He wants truth to reign in people's lives and their minds. Psalm 45, verse number 4. And in Thy majesty, ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And Thy right hand shall teach Thee terrible things. Thine arrows are sharp in the heart of Thy king's enemies whereby the people fall under thee. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. You can prosper. We all see it in this world. Look at the politicians and be full of pride and arrogance. You know people that tell the truth, but that truth is devoid of Humbleness and meekness. Yeah, you got the facts, right? You're telling me the truth, but you're just full of yourself. You can prosper. You can tell the truth. You can be right and just be a downright jerk. And people think because they said the truth, they stated a fact, they were right, they won the argument, that somehow... That's Christian. But you don't have the Spirit of Christ. You don't have the meekness of Christ. You don't have the gentleness of Christ. You don't have the righteousness of Christ. You're using it to better yourself rather than magnify our King, which is what we should do. So wrapping up, we want to be a man of God. Verse number 11, how it starts, or a woman of God. God says, follow after these things and He'll be pleased Verse number 6, look, here's what God lays out. Children, pay attention, because this is the decline. Verse 6, you're not content with just living a godly life. Then the next thing you know, your food and clothes aren't good enough. Verse 8. Then in verse 9, then you'll be tempted, you'll fall into a snare, because you think riches and money will solve your problem of uncontentment. And then if you're not careful, you end up loving money more than you love God. And the solution God says is, flee all of that. And He says, I want you to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Let's all try to do that this week. All right, bow with me, please. Father God, thank You. We're so grateful we have Your Word to study from and read for ourselves and so thankful, Lord, we can all approach Your throne of grace. None of us need a priest or a preacher or a rabbi or any type of mediator. We can go straight to You, God. And I thank You for the solution You've given us so we can live a life victorious for You. Help us to apply the things we've learned in our lives. Watch over the little ones this week, Lord. And 
Help them have Christ-like spirits. We certainly do pray that You would protect them from all the fiery darts that come their way, especially in our culture, and the message our society tries to teach them. Thank You for each and every one that came out. And we just ask Your blessing over Pilgrim Baptist Church. Commit it to You. We honestly, honestly, Lord, we just want to live for You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.